This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We continue our series 2019 to look ahead with what we can expect looking at tax law and policy. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act went into effect last year, where the majority of us will feel its impact when we file our taxes in the coming weeks and months. However, it's already left a mark on the federal budget deficit, although the Trump administration said the tax plan would pay for itself. That hasn't happened. Instead, the deficit went up by 17% from the year before. Now, it did boost economic growth. However, that may be a temporary effect. In the meantime, just when tax filers may have a lot of questions about changes in tax law, the IRS is dealing with the partial government shutdown, and it's unclear whether tax refunds will be sent out on time, even though the deadline to file remains the same, and the White House has said that tax refunds will go out on time. With more on this, we are joined in studio by Michael Knoll, co-director of the Center for Tax Law and Policy, as well as law professor here at the University of Pennsylvania. And also joining us on the phone is Daniel Hemmel, who is assistant uh, professor at the University of Chicago Law School. Michael, good to see you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Thank you, Dan. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So the immediate concern for many people is the tax returns and the tax refunds, Daniel, uh, and whether or not they're going to get them on time. I mentioned uh, what we have heard uh, from the government and from the White House. Uh, Do you believe that that schedule will stay in place? I think for most people, uh, their refund will be more or less unaffected. That's because most people file electronically and electronic filers, their refunds don't require any human in the process uh, in order for them to get out, other than the mail carrier who ultimately delivers your envelope. Um, So uh, the machines can keep on running, uh, even if the workers aren't there. Um, For paper filers, I think there are more questions. And then there are a lot of questions for people who, um, uh, who have questions for the IRS themselves. Uh, and uh, uh, might not have the benefit of that helpline during tax filing season this year. Right, and that has always been an issue with the IRS seemingly year after year, and you would think that the ability to gain information from the IRS would be that much uh, harder, Daniel, this year. Well, harder for two reasons. One, uh, because the lights are out, um, and two, because there were so many changes that went into effect for last year. Um, Normally, after a major tax overhaul like we had in 1986 and like we had last year, we'd expect the IRS to be pumping out a lot of guidance. It had been slow to do that all year, and now that has really uh, ground to a halt. Michael? Right. Well, the the guidance is a question of coming from the IRS, from the Treasury, and there was a lot that came out last year, and there's a lot to still be done. Um, Once the lights go back on, that's probably going to proceed. But the immediate issue for many people is filing their taxes. And as Dan has has mentioned, we're going to have new forms. There are new laws. It's a first time. In some ways, it may be easier. In other ways, it's going to be a little bit harder. And that would be difficult enough even without 
the uh, sh- shutdown because it's hard enough to get information out from from the, the service. But a major change like this is going to make things difficult. So, do you think then then the the consumer is going to be more likely maybe to go to a tax prep service or a, a, an accountant of some kind to be able to try and gain that information because of the changes and because of the partial government shutdown and the impact that it's having? Well, it may be that for a lot of people, their taxes should be easier. But change is always difficult to, to, to deal with. Yeah. And um, for people who earn an awful lot and already are using these services, yeah, they'll throw them over to their accountants. And Daniel, what are the most uh, pressing changes to, to tax policy going into 2019 for you? Uh, well, very little changes from December 31st, 2018 until January 1st, 2019. Most of the changes have really been in effect for a year. There were a few provisions of the code uh, that took effect January 1st, 2019. Uh, one is technically the individual mandate was still in effect last year. Um, the Trump administration said it wasn't, uh, but uh, if you're just following the letter of the law, you would have had to pay a penalty for not having health insurance last year. Um, that's not the case for this year. Um, second, there is a significant change to the tax treatment of divorce. Um, so if you were thinking about getting divorced, uh, you really should have done it on December 31st, 2018, rather than January 1st, 2019. And then a third change relates to medical expenses. Uh, there was a provision in effect in 2018 that allowed you to deduct medical expenses over 7.5% of adjusted gross income. Uh, that figure now goes up to 10% of adjusted gross income. So that means it is harder to deduct medical expenses in 2019 than it was in 2018. Hopefully people who were affected by this scheduled elective procedures for December 2018, uh, but for those who didn't, uh, they might be feeling the hit. Michael, things you note going uh, into the new year? Um, Well, I think the biggest change is going to be in terms of the conversation, and that's because the Democrats have taken back the House. Right. And so now they're with a Democratic majority and Democrats controlling all of, of the committees. I suspect we're not going to see any tax bills get passed or certainly maybe we'll get some technical corrections if the parties can agree. But I think there'll be a lot of opportunity for the Democrats to to make hay in terms of getting at least through the House legislation that's much more in line with their views, as well as holding hearings on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and what its effect has been. Right, because if you go back a couple of months, there was even conversation by the administration of of a tax cut 2.0. And now that is all but vanished, I think, because of how the dynamics on Capitol Hill have have come about. Oh, absolutely. I think... uh it's important to uh, recognize how important some of these technical corrections are. Uh, Michael uh, mentioned uh, that we might see technical corrections in 2019. Um, Normally when there's a big tax overhaul, like there was in 1986, or even when there are smaller bills, like there were in 2001 and 2003, um, in the rush of getting everything done, uh, the statute drafters make a few mistakes. Uh, And there were probably more such mistakes in the 2017 tax law because the process uh, was so expedited. So the Joint Committee on Taxation has come up with a list of uh, more than 70 just mistakes in the drafting of the code. And if this were a time of normal politics, uh, Congress would fix its own mistakes. 
Uh, but that technical corrections bill has been held up. Um, so we'll have people who are filing uh, in early 2019 um, under a code that everyone recognizes there are just some er- some drafting errors in it. You mentioned a second ago about the issue of, of divorce and whether or not people were getting a divorce, they should get it before December 31st. What was it that, what is the, is the change there? So for uh, divorces that were finalized before December, thir- by December 31st, 2018, um, the payor of alimony was allowed to deduct the payment and then the payee uh, usually the lower earning spouse, would include that payment in income. Uh, and that was generally thought to be better for both spouses um, because uh, the payor would usually be in a higher income tax bracket than the payee. Uh, and alimony formulae that uh, states use uh, in order to set these payments took that into account. For any divorce after uh, December 31st, 2018, uh, the alimony payor can't deduct the payment, and the alimony payee uh, can't include the payment. Um, it raises a very small amount of money for uh, the federal government. It takes two lines off of the Form 1040, uh, which we know uh, the Republicans who wanted to get uh, the tax returns down to postcard size uh, wanted to shorten. Uh, but it makes a potentially significant difference for uh, couples at a time uh, when they're experiencing financial stresses because of the breakup of the household. You also have to deal with, uh, Michael, the, the changes to the tax bracket for this coming year and for people when they file taxes in, in the year 2020. So you're going to have that adjustment as well as, as people are moving forward uh, in, in 2019 also. Oh, absolutely. Um, the tax rates were changed as of 2018, but the tax return is due in the middle of April of 2019. And that's the first experience that many people really will have with dealing with this. They may have, the withholding may have changed, they may not have. Um, there are clearly going to be some surprises, some that um, taxpayers are going to like. Uh, Upper-middle-class taxpayers should be very happy to see the disappearance of the alternative minimum tax. They're going to be much less happy with the loss of most of the state tax deduction, it being limited to $10,000. The loss of the personal exemption, especially in large families, is likely to take a hit or will be a hit for many. But at the same time, the increase in the standard deduction will help people out. So, yes, I think there will be a lot of surprises come April 15 um, and a lot of people needing to reach more into their pocket than they thought. Daniel? I think uh, a lot of people will be disappointed by the refunds uh, that they get in April. And that's not because they haven't gotten a tax cut, but it's because their employers have been adjusting withholding all year. So they've actually been getting a tax cut for all of 2018, uh, but then when they get that check back in April 2019, it's going to be smaller than what they remember from last year, or they might even owe some money uh, to the federal government. I think that's going to undermine popular support uh, for what has already turned out to be a surprisingly unpopular tax cut. I also saw that, and not that it is a huge change, uh, Daniel, but they also uh, have increased the, the 401 contribution amount, 401k contribution amount as well. 
Yes, that wasn't a function of the tax law. That was simply a function of inflation. So uh, those amounts go up um, every year. And and same for uh, the IRA contribution. Uh, You can go up, I believe, from $5,500 to $6,000 this year. What about the the uh, the issue surrounding the mortgage interest deduction uh, as well, uh, with the fact that uh, uh, for people that are buying higher price homes, Daniel, uh, that uh, that they have to be very aware of of the rate of the deduction at this point. Uh, right, that will affect people buying um, you know expensive million dollar homes. Uh, it won't affect. Um, average homeowners, most of yeah. whom are now going to be taking uh, the standard deduction uh, rather than the mortgage interest deduction. Um, and those homeowners who are affected by the new cap on the mortgage interest deduction um, are also going to be affected by the loss of uh, the virtually unlimited state and local property tax deduction, because usually with a million-dollar home comes a hefty property tax bill, uh, which um, now is only deductible up to a $10,000 cap. Um, that's going to be a real hit to filers in places like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and California. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. The, certainly the hit is, as Dan said, going to be biggest among well-to-do and people in high-tax states. But there also may be a bit of a surprising hit to people of more modest means who buying a first house or recently did and taking the mortgage interest deduction and now find because of the $10,000 limit plus the higher standard deduction that they're at the margin getting no tax benefit yeah. from there. And, and let's throw with that low interest rates. They're not getting a tax benefit at all from that mortgage. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're uh, looking at it 2019, where the world of taxes are concerned. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. What about uh, businesses, Daniel? Because uh, we obviously are going to have the different, we have the different tax rate uh, for businesses in play. How are businesses going to be impacted by by some of the changes made? Uh, well, for um, corporations, for uh, enterprises that are organized as C corporations that file as corporations, uh, this um, tax bill is gravy. It reduces their top rate from thirty five percent to twenty one percent. There are some complications for international uh, businesses. Um, uh, some of them might see their tax bill actually rise. Uh, they'll certainly see their tax compliance costs rise uh, because the new provisions affecting um, uh, multinational enterprises are extraordinarily complicated. Um, the majority of American businesses are organized as pass-throughs, as uh, partnerships, as limited liability companies, uh, or as S-corporations. A lot of them will be um, subject to this new and very complicated qualified business uh, income provision that allows them to deduct 20% of their income. Um, that will be great for them once they figure it out, uh, but the rules governing this are very, very, very complicated. Um, so I think um, it's, it's particularly good for uh, accountants who are serving uh, those enterprises. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think the watchword is is complicated. In some sense, <laughs> right, 2019 is only when they're going to do the first filing because these changes were effective as of 
2018. And the large corporations, uh, those especially with international, uh, substantial international operations and, and income, the complexity of this stuff is mind numbing. Yeah. And getting on top of it, one is getting all the rules out, but even to the extent we understand the rules, the old world was one of fairly, still was complicated enough, but basic rules of thumb. A lot of the accountants I've spoke with here say, we don't have those yet. We don't understand what they are, even to the extent we understand the rules. <laughs> right. Because so many of these things are connected to one another, and so many are on a year-by-year -year basis. It seems, as Dan points out, be great for the, the accountants, but the business folks don't yet have a good enough sense. And it, this, these rules may not lend themselves to it to say, all right, here's basically what's going on. Here's how we should think of how we are taxed. And here is how we need to respond to that. Daniel? Uh, I, I very much agree. Um, I guess other winners from this are uh, tax professors uh, because yeah. uh, suddenly our, um, <laughs> our students realize that there are uh, – every time there's a major tax overhaul, there are uh, new jobs available for them. Um, and the, uh, the, the wisdom that uh, older tax professionals have built up over the years, uh, a lot of that um, becomes useless. Uh, once 2019 rolls around. So uh, at least at the University of Chicago, we've seen our uh, tax law enrollments go up. There also seems to be uh, a question, uh, Daniel, of whether or not we're going to start to see people moving out of certain states because of uh, the higher impact from some of the changes in, in tax law. Um, it's possible. Um, I think that uh, people generally move uh, either toward where their family is or where toward their job is, uh, and taxes are a secondary consideration. Um, we see uh, that that's not true for everyone. Um, it seems like NBA players are actually quite tax sensitive uh, in uh, their locational choices, um, though uh, even there, um, uh, not entirely tax sensitive because you know we saw LeBron James uh, leave Florida, a zero income tax state. Uh, and move to Ohio and then to California, the state with highest income taxes in the country. And now he moves out to California, which means what for him? Uh, well, it means that he's paying an additional 13.3% yeah. income tax rate that he can't deduct against his – he can deduct the first $10,000 of uh, state and local taxes, uh, which for him uh, is chump change. I would say this is in the long term better for teams like uh, the Heat, the Rockets, the Mavericks. Um, we've, we've seen that uh, over time. Um, that being in a low-income tax state uh, is beneficial for uh, uh, NBA and Major League Baseball teams. Uh, that said, most of us uh, don't have uh, the same mobility as uh, an NBA or MLB free agent. I think we're going to see a lot of people moving to uh, New York, uh, particularly around Long Island City, uh, and Washington and Northern Virginia, uh, yeah. particularly around National Landing, because of those new Amazon jobs there. Um, uh, people go toward the jobs, uh, and then they pay taxes later. Michael? Yeah. No, no I, I would uh, agree with um, all of that. One place, though, where we're likely to see movement is because of the Wayfair decision, the online sales collection, sure, the ability yeah, of states right. now to require remote sellers to collect. 
uh, I think companies are going to do less to try to avoid being in certain states and being able to just sell in without having sure. any kind of presence there. So I expect to see a more rational arrangement of businesses there's, throughout the country. Uh, Daniel, mm-hmm. there's also uh, around uh, families that have 529 plans uh, for the education of their kids. Uh, the change that now allows uh, those families uh, to use those funds not only for college education, but they can use them for a primary education as well, like going to a private school uh, or a Catholic school where you pay for uh, pay for the education. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's a that's a big change. Um, uh, you can put money into a five twenty nine plan, have it grow income tax free, and then use it uh, for your kids' K through twelve education. It used to be only. Um, for your kids' college and post-college um, education. Um, I, um, I have a new kid at home, so I was uh, trying to game this out, and I realized that the benefits of that uh, for kindergarten uh, are, are relatively small. Right. Um, for, uh, if you're putting in money for uh, a newborn's college education, then you're getting 18 years of income tax-free growth. Right. Uh, if you're putting in money for a kid's kindergarten education, then you're getting five years of income tax free growth. Um, so it's a benefit uh, for um, parents who send kids to private schools, uh, but the benefit of 529 plans remains most significant for college and graduate education. I also believe for primary and secondary education, the amount is limited to $10,000 10, yeah. a year, yeah. which uh, may cover some secondary schools, but not others. But I, I read, though, that, that actually mm-hmm. if you have two accounts mm-hmm. on that, like the dad has one account and the mom has one account, you can draw off of both accounts so you could still potentially get uh, upwards of $20,000 if, if the limit is 10000 Daniel. Um, yeah, yes. There, there is uh, uh, also an overlay with state provisions. Um, so Illinois gives uh, a state income tax deduction for contributions to 529 plans, but it hasn't updated that to reflect the code's um, uh, new allowance for 529 money to be used for primary and secondary education. So you'd actually be violating state tax law right. if you claim the deduction and then use that money for K-12 through education. Um, there are uh, uh, additional proposals around 529 plans, so it will probably still be a few years before we see how all this shakes out. Um, some Republican senators have been trying to extend 529 plans to cover unborn children um, because the first thing that you think about when you learn that uh, you're expecting a child is uh, how, to, how to save tax-free. Um, uh, so uh, I, I think we'll probably have to wait um, a few years before we know uh, what the long-run impacts of this will be. One of the other things I, I saw written about, uh, Daniel, was also involving uh, health spending accounts. And because of some of the tax law changes that will be impacting uh, the, the, the cost that people will, uh, will spend on their health care, to make sure that you have a health spending account because it will give you maybe a slight impact on that money you put away pre-tax throughout the course of the year when you have to spend on maybe some of the smaller medical uh, issues that you may have to deal with, either yourself or your family. Right. So there are there are two uh, accounts that um, uh, people are using often. One is a, a flexible saving account. 
which is a sort of use it or lose it provision. Um, and uh, anyone who wears eyeglasses know that, knows this well because they get um, advertisements from opticians around December 31st saying, uh, <laughs> use your money in your FSA uh, right now or it will go poof. Uh, next year. Um, there are also health savings accounts, which allow for much more substantial savings for people with high deductible health plans. Uh, and increasingly, we see uh, high income taxpayers choosing those high deductible health plans because those health savings accounts end up uh, essentially being retirement savings vehicles. Michael. Yeah. Well, really nothing to add there. Okay. Yeah, well, what's your then what's your your kind of tip for consumers going into 2019 where taxes are concerned? Because obviously we've talked about a lot here in the last 25 minutes, but it it is going to be a year that because of all the changes that people really need to be aware of what's going on right now. Well, I think estimated taxes for 2018 close tomorrow, I believe. So if one has the time and are concerned that you haven't withheld enough to protect your, yourself, um, get those estimated taxes in tomorrow. And you can pretty much, I think, nowadays do these things online or calling yeah. up and pay without fees out of your checking account. Um, if you're not in a position to do that, Get Just ready. be braced. Get ready. Brace yourself. Daniel, your thoughts? Um, I think one uh, really noticeable aspect of this new tax law is it affects different industries differently. Um, so if you can choose uh, what profession to go into, um, if you're 22 or 23, uh, now's the time to take a good look at the 2019 tax law. If you can own a bank, uh, that, that's great. If you can be a real estate developer, uh, that's great. Uh, there are goodies in the new tax law um, for uh, craft brewers and uh, distillers of spirits. Um, there's much less in it for um, doctors, for lawyers, for consultants, uh, for professionals who tend to live uh, in or near cities uh, and who, at least for the last few cycles, uh, have uh, tended to be more likely uh, to vote Democratic. Um, so um, the 22-year-olds who are listening to this, uh, uh, take this advice. If you're 22, Daniel, and you can own a bank, you're doing really well. <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah, but, I, I, but you said craft brewers. What is it specifically about craft brewers that, that there's uh, a benefit? Uh, there's a significant reduction in the uh, excise, in the alcohol excise tax uh, for um, craft brewers. So in addition to the federal income tax, there's a whole set of excise taxes uh, that – uh, brewers, winemakers, distillers face. Um, I, I should actually caveat this uh, and say it's, it's a terrible time for uh, craft brewers right now in January because you can't launch a new craft brew in the United States. Uh, you need um, the federal government yeah. approval for your label. That's right. And uh, the lights are off. That's right. <laughs> Daniel, great we'll to catch up. We'll be seeing oatmeal stouts all spring. <laughs> That's true. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Daniel, great to catch up with you. Thank you for your uh, for your input. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Michael. Great seeing you again. Thanks for coming over. My pleasure. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.